Mediated Conversation on SAFM. 26 minutes to 9 the time. Good morning. Yesterday here on SAFM Sunrise, you heard, well, quite a long interview with the company Car Power Ships, which owns power stations that are on barges. They use those power, those ships to generate electricity in different places. They've now been given permission to moor one of their barges at Richards Bay and will be allowed to use that space to generate power. In the interview with Car Power Ships, the global chief commercial officer for the company, Zeynep Razai Yilmaz, made certain points. She said that gas-fired power was necessary to transition from coal-fired power stations to renewable power, that we would need gas power to keep our grid running. And as you know, all of this is hugely contentious. There have been all sorts of claims made about car power ships, and as you know, there are huge arguments about the kind of power that we should actually use in the future. So then, this morning we bring you a conversation based on what she said. Was she telling the truth or not? Will the car power ships deal actually go through? First, this morning, you'll hear an edited version of the interview that we conducted yesterday with car power ships. Then you'll hear on the technical side, uh, Chris Yellens, the Managing Director at EE Business Intelligence, and finally, the environmental issues. And you know, of course, that this has been a big issue with these ships. You'll hear from Green Connection Strategic Lead, Liz McDade. I must just point out uh, at the start that the full interview we did with car power ships yesterday was around 21 minutes you'll hear around eight and a half minutes of that now the full version is of course available for you still as a podcast on our website we start then with the conversation with Zeynep Herese Yilmaz the chief global commercial officer for car power ships I asked her after Richards Bay site had been granted permission for them to use that site when did she think they'll be producing power onto the grid so we have recently re- uh, received our environmental application for Richards Bay, which means we're going to sign our power purchase agreement with the IPP office in the upcoming weeks and then achieve financial close by the end of the year and hopefully before uh, the end of next year. So within 2024, we'll be able to deliver low cost, reliable and cleaner electricity in Richards Bay. As I understand the process within our, our environmental affairs department, so they've granted permission, but there's still an appeal process. In other words, uh, a non-governmental organization or another group could actually appeal the decision. Do you think that could happen? Could that delay things further? Um, that could definitely happen, and we would welcome it because I think South Africa has a very strong green lobby, and uh, it's wonderful for a country to have such a strong green lobby to put corporations in the right direction. Um, so, um, of course, it would happen and we would answer the necessary questions. We look at the environment in four different aspects, marine, air, uh, land, and also noise. In terms of marine, we are just a regular cargo ship. In- instead of carrying a cargo, it has inside already an equipped power plant. So the marine impact of the power ship is similar to any cargo vessel that is docked at the port. In the Temap Fishing Harbor, where we operated for many years in Ghana, United Nations Development Program made a documentary on us and the small-scale fishermen because we've improved the lives of the small-scale fishermen who were our hosts. Fish bred along the power ship, they would park their uh, fishing ships around the uh, power ship, and electricity we provided enabled their refrigerators to work so they wouldn't have to throw away the fish that they catch. Instead, they could take home money, feed their kids, send them to school, and have a proper income. Mm. 
Okay, I'm going to come to that's the... what the electricity does. Okay, you lodged applications for three sites. Uh, there's Richards Bay, there are two others. The two other sites you don't have environmental permission yet. How are those processes going? Um, we believe we will receive the environmental applications for the Saldana project and the Kuha project in the upcoming weeks or months as well. We've done multiple public participation meetings to make sure there were no questions unanswered by the communities um, for all three sites. And the uh, ones that were submitted for Saldana and Kuha comes after Richards Bay. So I, it is very natural for them their environmental application to come later than Richards Bay as well. Um, Eskim has to give you a grid allocation. And if you don't have a grid allocation, you cannot connect to the grid. And as I understand it, the grid allocation that you were granted ran out in August and then was extended, I think, to the end of December. And if you're not generating power by the end of December, would that mean you lose your grid allocation? You'd have to go to Eskim again and say, please, can we have our grid allocation uh, for longer? Because we aren't yet producing electricity to add to the grid. Is that right? Let me go back to the previous comment, if you don't mind, that um, you cannot have a grid running completely on renewables. The reason for that is the renewables work when sun is shining, wind is blowing, or when it's raining with hydro, but it's not dispatchable baseload power. It's like the same reason why you can't make a pudding with just eggs. You need a balanced portfolio and renewables, due to their technology, deregulize grids in terms of voltage and frequency, whereas thermal electricity provides regulation for voltage and frequency, which actually enables further renewable integration into the grid. So you need thermal to be able to operate renewables. And the cleanest form of thermal is natural gas. Going to the ESCOM um, capacity uh, issue is that we already have a, a capacity allocation for the transmission lines for the proper evacuation of the electricity. And um, that uh, availability is still valid and ongoing. Okay, but it does run out at the end of December, so you would have to ask for it to be extended again, right? Uh, you need to make a payment to secure for the continuous uh, reservation of those lines. You're not using your grid allocation now, and isn't that preventing other people from using it? No, because there are no other projects, and the thing that you need to do to be able to even join a tender to be able to get a project is you need that grid allocation so it's it's a <laughs> it's a precondition so um, for you to be even awarded the proper tender and to get the project running so without the grid allocation we would not actually have the project that, this is my point, is that we have a grid allocation that's not being used. You get it before you get the project. I understand that. But this process has taken such a long time. I realize a lot of that's outside your control. It's uh, our government processes, all of that. I accept that. But we also know that you can build uh, a, a wind turbine in 18 months. You can build a solar power farm in two years. And so the longer that you are not using this allocation because of these problems, the, the greater the chance, or it could have been possible, that other people could have used that allocation. So my point, my, where I'm trying to get to 
is that yes, is that are you not preventing other people from using it? I realize that might be out of your control, no, but the grid not. allocation is is an important mm-hmm. issue. Yes, no, we're not um, we're not uh, inhibiting other people from using it. You definitely cannot build a wind farm at that location. You definitely cannot build a solar farm at that location. There are other locations more suitable due to solar illumination and due to wind measurements in South Africa. But the Richards Bay uh, area where we have the grid allocation is not one of them. So you would have a horrible project and the wind turbines take much more than three years to actually build, even to get the environmental applications for those uh, wind and solar projects you're terrorizing about would take multiple years. Zainab Harazai Yilma speaking there, the Global Chief Commercial Officer at Car Powerships. That full interview, just to remind you, that is an edited extract of the interview. That's about uh, just un- just over half of that interview. The full interview, of course, still available for you on our podcast site. You're with SFM, 17 minutes to nine. Chris Yelland is the Managing Director at EE Business Intelligence. Chris, good morning. Thank you for the time this morning. Good morning, Stephen, and to your listeners. There are a few technical things that I thought we, we just need to make sure are correct. Uh, Car Powerships, of course, is, has a specific product. They have every right to try and sell that product. Um, I, I, I am a little cynical for various reasons about electricity in almost all of its guises now, Chris, as you know. The claim that you cannot, that you would need some sort of uh, gas power, that you would need to, I think the phrase was, regularize the grids through voltage and frequency, that you'd need some sort of sort of fossil fuel power, gas or coal to do that, that came from car power ships. Is that correct? Uh, Stephen, I must first say that I'm here uh, speaking also as an outer uh, advisor. Uh, outer has got legal action against uh, car power and the Minister of, uh, uh, of Energy as well as um, uh, NERSA. In, in this matter, uh, and I also speak uh, you know, with my own views, which are very much uh, tied and, and aligned with Outer's uh, legal action. Uh, but to answer your specific question, no, it's completely not true that you need gas to regulate the frequency and the voltage. It's completely technically nonsense. Uh, so, for example, there are many ways of which uh, you can ensure adequate inertia on on the grid to ensure frequency stability. One way, for example, is through synchronous condensers. And there are going to be a lot of synchronous condensers available in South Africa as we start decommissioning our uh, coal-fired power uh, because those generators can be used as synchronous condensers in the future. Uh, And and in any case, our renewable energy penetration in South Africa is so low at the moment uh, and our coal-fired generation is so high at the moment. It's completely unnecessary uh, at this moment to even consider those sort of considerations. They are issues, but there are many technical solutions. And to suggest that uh, uh, gas is necessary for this purpose is just wrong. Thank you. That. All right. Thank you for being honest about the outer issue. I had no idea that you had recently joined outer. I must apologize. Um, there's another issue with car power. Uh, may, may, may I just say, I, I, mm. I haven't joined outer. I have been uh, the electricity and energy advisor to outer for many years, oh, uh, about four years now. Okay. My mistake. Mm. Um then they claim that we can't build wind or solar capacity quickly. And I realize there are probably two aspects here. The one is getting permission to do it and the financial, the paperwork, or financial paperwork. And the other is the construction. There might be two different issues and it's easy to conflate them. Is it true that we can't build wind or solar capacity quickly? No, that's complete nonsense. Uh, you know, you know that 
as part of this risk mitigation IPP program, the projects that have actually been awarded are the SCATEC projects, which are solar and battery energy storage. And there are other projects that are renewable energy plus battery energy storage. These can be delivered far quicker. I mean, those projects are almost ready for delivery. The car power ship, <laughs> they haven't actually even, they haven't even financially closed, let alone done all the other work that is necessary. Uh, the other project, Steam Ahead, it's well known that, that uh, solar PV uh, projects and wind projects uh, can be delivered much quicker uh, than gas to power or coal-fired or nuclear projects. The issue around a grid allocation, is that important? She's very clear that car powerships is not stopping anyone else from using that allocation. I'm not an expert in this area, as you know. Um, is the grid allocation an issue with when it comes to the car, the proposed car powerships contract? Well, I think it is an issue. Uh, you, you know, that grid connection has been reserved for car powership for now for three years. And they haven't even yet got their BE sorted out uh, their uh, port authorization sorted out, and on two of the projects, uh, the environmental authorization sorted out. Uh, so, uh, in all this time, they are delaying grid uh, grid access. Uh, the question as to whether there are other projects around uh, that could fill that, uh, it, it, I don't know the answer, but I have no doubt there are several. Within all of this, there's another issue which I wasn't able to tackle with car powerships yesterday, which is around the source of gas. And we don't have a big sort of source of gas in South Africa, the actual gas that would be used here. How big an issue is that? It's a huge issue. Uh, you know, the, the fuel is 100% imported. And what this means, it is subject to the variations and vagaries of the United States uh, US dollar price of LNG, which is a fluctuating uh, cost, uh, depending on the market, depending on the Ukraine war and many other issues. Uh, and it's also dependent on the rate of exchange with the Rand dollar. This means that the fuel, the 100% imported fuel, uh, is, is out of control in terms of its cost. It's not under, uh, under our control. And uh, it, it really begs the question. I mean, I want to just state, outer opposed this, these projects and has instituted legal action uh, on a number of grounds. Uh, and one of them is the cost and the lack of transparency around the cost. And I'm amazed the car powership are so coy and nurses so coy and DMRE is so coy about telling us what would be the price per kilowatt hour based on today's conditions if we would start generating today based on today's rate of exchange as well as on the US dollar price of, of LNG today. And what would it be for the next 20 years? They're very coy about this. I mean, you also heard on the, on the interview yesterday, they've given a, 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 the, the IPP office an option for a, a, an early termination of 10 years or five years, etc. But they never tell you the price. You know, all the other prices of the other bidders are disclosed. But the price of car power for their early termination and even their 20-year price uh, based on today's conditions is, is completely opaque. And this is one of the major grounds at which uh, Alta is opposing this. There are other grounds, for example, on 
carbon dioxide emissions and climate change, lack of transparency, uh, environmental issues, uh, and the, the, the lack of a power purchase agreement, the fact that they don't have environmental authorization or they didn't when they were given a, a generation license. It was like putting the car before the horse. They gave a generation license, which should be the last thing that when you've got all your ducks in line, you get a generation license. They gave them the generation license first before any of the ducks were in line. And we've had a three-year delay and they still haven't got their ducks in the line. Chris Yellen, thank you very much indeed. Managing Director at EE Business Intelligence, also an advisor uh, to Outer. Uh, in a moment, we'll continue a mediated conversation around car powerships with Liz McDade from Green Connection. Mediated conversation on SAFM. Continue a mediated conversation based on yesterday's conversation with Car Powerships and their global chief commercial officer, Zeynep Parazai Yilmaz. That interview, of course, still available for you uh, on the SAFM podcast page. Liz McDade is the strategic lead at the organization Green Connection. Liz, good morning. Good morning to you and your listeners. Uh, the first question I probably need to ask you is that we know that the Environmental Affairs Department has given authorization for car power ships to uh, anchor one of their ships in Richards Bay. There's still an appeal process. Uh, you've been one of the groups which have opposed car power ships. Are you going to use that appeal process? Are you going to lodge an appeal against this other decision? Yes, most definitely. Um, it's our law, legal team are busy with that right now. And I think what's important is that when that appeal is lodged, it delays the process uh, because it suspends the approval. Um, I assume that would therefore mean they no longer have a guarantee that they have their, their um, authorization in Richards Bay. Also want to point out they don't have it in Kucha. And in Saldana, um, we have uh, had to review a almost, I want to say, an approval within an approval um, because they were given condemnation, uh, but the minister did not actually have our submission in front of her when she made that decision. We asked her to therefore review her own decision, um, which she didn't do. So we have therefore gone, had to go to, to court and that process is in, in process right now. So, you know, there, there's no ways that uh, to confidently assert you are going to be generating electricity within a short time. Um, you know, that, that just isn't right. Um, one of the claims made by car power ships is the only impact on the environment is just the fact that the ship is berthed there, like a normal cargo ship. And the example was given that in other communities, you know, fishing communities have, have quite happily uh, been fishing around these ships. Is that true? I mean, do you believe community f- fishing communities would, uh, as they put it, benefit from the ships? Well, the the um, assessment would would say not. Um, the firstly, you've got the sound issue, which wasn't actually studied in the first authorization. For example, at Soldana, which was refused uh, because they took data from another country and tried to apply it to Soldana, and uh, so yeah, they have to they had to redo their studies. Second thing is that. It's a not just a cargo ship, it's a power ship, which means it is taking using seawater to cool the power station, uh, which has an impact on the marine environment. And it's a particularly sensitive environment, for example, in Soldana um, and for different reasons in different ports. 
And uh, so the small-scale fishers have um, objected. And I just was listening to that interview and I thought it was useful to share that the aquaculture, which is uh, an important industry in, um, in Saldana, is potentially at risk because of the changes in water temperature and obviously um, potentially the sound. But the aquaculture, there are a lot more jobs that are existing that are then potentially at risk compared to CARPA um, projections of what they are going to create. And, and I think it's important to look for the listeners to understand that you can, of course, hype up how many jobs and how much money you're going to put in, but then you must put it on paper in the official documents. And the official documents submitted to NERSA uh, say that, for example, CARPA is going to create, I think, 175 jobs in total over the 20 years. Um, so, yeah, I, I think one must beware of exaggerations, possibly, that uh, raise expectations for local economies. Okay, so then, if these ships were to berth in various places in certain areas, what impact would that have? And of course, in the middle of all of this is the sort of offset deal where car power ships is one of the reasons they've been given permission by the Environmental Affairs Department, the, 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 the decision that you're going to appeal against in court, um, is because they've given land to protect the rhinos. And obviously an offset is always going to be controversial in some way or another. We've spoken to the minister about that. If these ships are allowed to do it, go ahead, what impact is there going to be on those areas over the, over the 20 years that they'll be there? So they will obviously have an impact, as I said, from the hot water and the sound. Um, and the the likely impact, the risk is that it will drive, for example, the fish away. It will impact on um, uh, the plankton, the, the, um, the cycles of the ecosystem cycles within those areas. And the, of course, in Richards Bay and in Cook, I think birds have been raised as a critical um, factor in in this, and I just want to talk this one second about the offset issue. We obviously want to conserve at least a portion of our natural environment for future generations. And and when I heard about that offset, what went through my mind is this is an effect like taking our endangered, threatened penguins and saying, "Well, sorry guys, you're not going to have penguins in future, but there's be lots of hardy does." So, you know, <laughs> these are not ethical decisions in 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 our view um and what's critical is that the livelihoods of many people depend on the current ecosystem which is existing in those harbors again i refer to soldana and those small-scale fishers have been uh not well treated in our view in in the process Liz McDade, thank you. Strategic lead at Green Connection. My thanks also to Chris Yellen, Managing Director at EE Business Intelligence and an advisor to Outer, uh, which opposes the deal. And starting us off, the Global Chief Commercial Officer, that extract from Car Powership, uh, Zenap Harazay Yilmaz. That full interview, of course, available for you on a podcast as uh, in about five minutes. So will this entire mediated conversation be